Sustainable beef, it's a product which prioritizes planet, people, profit, and animals. So essentially what we're trying to do is produce beef in a way that is not having negative impacts. And in fact, with our uh, net positive impact on the environment goal, we, we're actually stepping that up. We're saying not only should it not have a negative impact, producing beef can and should have a positive impact on the environment. Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this week's episode... I'm joined by Rory Peter, Executive Director with the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, to discuss the global viewpoint and comparison between Ireland and New Zealand beef systems. Rory, you're very welcome. Before we begin, can you give an insight into your background and your career to date for listeners? So I um, was born in Ireland, but grew up mostly in Scotland. Um, when I left school, I went uh, straight into farming and I was I studied agriculture at Edinburgh Agricultural College and I initially worked on some farms. I did that both in Scotland and then in New Zealand, Australia. I went home to Scotland and managed a farm there for a few years. Uh, but I'd obviously got itchy feet, as you can tell, and, and I then ended up spending many years um, working in developing countries. So I worked um, in, in India and in Asia and Afghanistan and in, um, in Africa and Southern Africa. So that kind of gave me a completely different and broader view of, of agriculture than I would have got if I just stayed in Scotland. And it was when I was in Africa that I was uh, I saw that somebody was establishing an initiative around sustainable beef. And I thought that was something really interesting to me. Uh, I saw the need for it also in developing countries. And that's why I got involved. So I've been involved in, in the roundtable since really since 2010. And uh, I've been the executive director for the last uh, 10 years now. A very interesting background, Rory, and particularly that you have an Irish connection. As executive director for the Global Roundtable for Beef Production, what's the main aim and objectives of the group? What we're working on at the moment is we've got three uh, goals. So when we first established, we really we set out a set of principles and criteria. And these were because we understood basically that beef production varies tremendously around the world and the way that it takes place in Ireland is different from it is here in New Zealand it's very different from southern Africa for example or North America and so we realized that wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be possible to set a standard for global beef sustainability but what would be possible was if you set up some principles and you stick to those so we we had principles around natural resources around uh, food around people in the community around animal health and welfare and around efficiency and innovation. And through that, we we brought in more and more members around the world. And then in 2021, we actually launched a set of goals uh, for our global network, which now covers 24 countries. And those goals are on uh, climate, uh, nature positive production, and animal health and welfare. And this year, we're also working on one for social impact. So by the end of uh, 2023, we'll also have a fourth goal on social impact. And uh, since we launched those in 2021, we've been building a a reporting framework and our national roundtables around the world are are now um, starting to gather the baseline information and, and getting ready to report for the first time by the end of this year against those three goals. 
Rory, you mentioned that there's 24 countries involved and we hear the term sustainable beef mentioned a lot and particularly more recently. What is it defined as globally? Yeah, so sustainable beef is it's a product which prioritizes uh, planet, people, profit and, and animals. So essentially what we're trying to do is produce beef in a way that is not having negative impacts. And in fact, with our uh, net positive impact um, on the environment goal, we, we're actually stepping that up. We're saying not only should it not have a negative impact, producing beef can and should have a positive impact on the environment. It should also, with all of the recent interest in in the impact of greenhouse gases and particularly enteric methane, we should be able to um, produce beef in a way that is net neutral to the climate or even uh, has a positive impact on climate. And of course, we should be caring for the animals that that we have uh, to look after. And we should be doing that in a way that provides them with a, a life worth living and an environment in which they can thrive. And that all of these things are in the interests of the farmer. We need to make sure that they remain in the interests of the farmer. In other words, you need to be able to make uh, money doing all of this. Uh, and you need to be able to sell a product that the consumer can be confident is, is having all of these positive impacts. Most definitely. And looking back, Rory, since the development 10 years ago, what would you see as the major milestones and achievements of the group? I think getting the the number of countries that we have and the the number of companies that we have involved is really the significant achievement that we've been able to to make. In other words, we we brought in um, all of the big processing companies, the big uh, producer organizations, and I would I would probably say that's actually the biggest achievement: having producers at the table and making sure they are part of setting all of these goals and, and, and how we report on them is really important because um, a lot of what we're doing is gonna happen on farm. And if producers don't believe that it's feasible or realistic or in their interests, it's not gonna happen. So having, for example, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in the US, having um, Beef and Lamb New Zealand here, Cattle Australia, uh, the big uh, producer organizations in in Latin America, in countries like Brazil and Paraguay and Argentina, that's really important because when you when they are on board and they're saying yes, we can make things better, we can do this, and and this is good for our business and and good for our farms, then you know that you're probably heading in the right direction. I suppose going forward, looking globally, what would you see as the major challenges or opportunities in the beef sector? I mean, challenges is quite an easy one to answer. Everybody's looking for data. And uh, when we go to a b- big global meetings like the, the COP28, which will be this year in Dubai, we are going to be talking about the achievements of the beef industry. But you can really only be credible when you do that with data. And you can present not just a story on beef sustainability, but the evidence for that story. It's essential that we get to these meetings and show uh, and and are able to demonstrate with facts and figures what's actually happening. And that is a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge for farmers themselves. Um, For a start, reporting is not always (laughs) in the genetic makeup of every farmer. Not all farmers uh, find that the most interesting part of their, their business. And of course, they want to see a return on it. 
And I strongly believe that they deserve to see a return for all of the efforts they're uh, putting into sustainability. And we need to make sure that the rest of the value chain is uh, is rewarding farmers for the progress they're making. But so data is a challenge. I think the opportunities are tremendous. It's it's ironic when you hear um, people talking about uh, cattle and particularly enteric emissions as though that is one of the major drivers of climate change. And yet the grazing industries, uh, cattle, sheep and, and, and others, dairy, et cetera, they are one of the few industries that's actually generating uh, carbon credits at the moment through sequestration on farm, whether that be uh, through uh, soil, carbon or vegetation on farm. Our farms uh, globally have some of the largest potential to sequester carbon and big companies, people like Microsoft and, and airlines and others are already paying them to do that. So clearly there's a belief that that land is capable of sequestering carbon. So I don't understand why people don't understand that those two things cancel each other out. Yes, when we produce ruminants, we're gonna have methane, but also while we're doing that, we can be sequestering carbon and those two things uh, cancel each other out. Particularly for the grazing systems that you mentioned, particularly here in Ireland, and I suppose Ireland is represented by Borbia under the European Roundtable category of this group. For the grazing systems, particularly in Ireland, what are the main goals and aims going forward? Within our nature positive goal, we've we've set out um, sort of sub uh, achievements, if you if you like, or targets. And grazing management is one of the the biggest ones that we can see there as being able to contribute both to the climate goal, but also to the nature positive one. Because when you're managing grazing in a way that's uh, benefiting the soil, you're not just uh, sequestering carbon, you're also, you know, by increasing the soil uh, biota, you're increasing the ability to store soil moisture, you're uh, increasing the biodiversity in the soil and in the, the sward, so the, the grasses and the, the forbs and the other things that are in the in the sward that the cattle are eating improves. And you can, by improving all of these things, you're also creating uh, more of an environment in which insects and other pollinators, et cetera, can thrive. Essentially, it's just a cascade. And as soon as you work on all of these things through grazing systems, you can have a tremendously positive impact right through the, right through the farm. And you mentioned earlier, Rory, that you're based in New Zealand. Can you give listeners an insight into the beef production and the different systems in New Zealand? There are some similarities. Beef in New Zealand is still um, predominantly grass-fed. So I guess one of the big differences is that we don't really have that many housed beef production systems in, in New Zealand. Cattle are essentially at grass all year round. That's because in large parts of New Zealand we have a growing season that that it's almost 12 months a year that we're, we can grow grass here and there are parts of the South Island where where it gets too cold in the winter to to grow significant amounts of grass but as long as you've been able to make a decent amount of hay or silage in the summer you, we can keep cattle outdoors all, all year here so that would be the difference. I guess one of the other differences is is probably the scale of the operations. Uh, obviously, that we do have small farms, and there are there are increasing numbers of hobby farms. But um, 
you know, large capital operations here can cover, you know, tens of thousands of hectares. And I, I'm guessing that's probably not that common in, in Ireland. Most definitely not. And you mentioned like climate and the grazing system difference across the year is a huge difference compared to here in Ireland, where we could have up to five and in some case six months of a winter. I suppose you also deal with drought, and that's something we've experienced here in Ireland, particularly since 2018. How are you coping with drought, or what does that consist of for you? It's true that periodically we had droughts, and um, it looks like we're heading into another El Nino cycle now, so that probably will result in drier uh, periods for large parts of the North Island and, and chunks of the South Island as well. But ironically, for the last three years, we've had pretty high rainfall and and the last 12 months we've had exceptionally high rainfall over most of New Zealand and uh, several major flooding episodes so at the moment we're not we're not really in drought mode at all we've been recovering from some significant floods and actually just uh, just in the past week the east side of the north islands had uh, more of a battering with heavy rain so uh, they've actually they've probably had some of the heaviest rain over the last year um since records began so at the moment it's a question of uh recovering from flooding and and what happens in new zealand with our topography we've got very steep hills and uh, a lot of uh, fairly moraine type soils you know boulder clays and so on and these these tend to start moving when you get uh a lot of rain so we get a lot of landslides and and slips as they're called here in new zealand uh, which has been a problem. And you get river flooding, which has then inundated a lot of the lower lying, you know, river flats. And some farmers have lost significant amounts of land because it's been covered with uh, with silt from these, these flood events. But that same soil, when we do have droughts, tends to dry out pretty quickly because, uh, well, you know what clay soil is like. So, um, yeah, that, that can mean... <laughs> needing to move stock around, needing to move feed around the country. Uh, usually we'll find in New Zealand that we don't have a drought everywhere. Particularly, there's a big difference between the west and the east of the country because we have big mountains. So the, the west of the country, I, I think like Ireland, tends to stay a bit wetter than the than the east does. So when when the east is in drought, we can we can sometimes accommodate with feed from, from the west. For sure, there's huge differences here in Ireland, even across from east to west and north to south. The national identification of cattle is different in the New Zealand in comparison to Ireland as well. Yes, we don't have uh, European legislation quite uh, in the same. Obviously, we're not part of Europe, but we do, a lot of our cattle are, are destined for Europe. But a lot of beef is destined for Europe. So we need to comply with European legislation when it comes to uh, movement and slaughter of animals. But... Um, Prior to that, if they're on farm, the the requirements are a little bit less stringently enforced as what they would be in Ireland, and so you'll you'll see cattle on farms not being uh, tagged right at birth or whatever. But uh, yeah, you know, in Europe, and when I was farming in Scotland, we were we were tagging calves pretty much the the day they were born or the day thereafter. Uh, whereas here in New Zealand, that would tend to be a seasonal thing. You'd mark all the cattle at once rather than doing them all on the day they're born. 
and you came to Ireland again in 2018 for the Sustainable Beef Conference. From your vast experience, you mentioned you've worked in Africa, Asia, North America, and now New Zealand. What do you see as the major differences here to Ireland for a sustainable beef production system? As I said, I mean, I think the the production systems are just so vastly different. If you think about um, North America, they they have feedlots there. And I know that in Ireland, obviously, you, you do... Um, house animals in the winter but that I think that's got more to do with uh, trying to avoid poaching in fields and um, you know keeping the the retaining some structure in the soil I guess rather than having cattle out on really wet pasture and I think the North American system really evolved because of the because of government policy around corn production and it's just a totally different scenario to to what you see in Europe I think most of the Housed cattle in Europe are still fed predominantly on on conserved forage, so it's it's all silage or hay or a combination of silage with some some other uh, crops, and and less concentrate feeding. Um, I've been in parts of Europe, in Italy, for example, where they fatten a lot of fatten a lot of French cattle, and uh, even there, the fattening system is is much more roughage based than what you'd see in North America. So I think it's just different everywhere um, because of the climate, because of the legislation, because of the physical characteristics of each country. And that's what makes it so interesting. I think it's much more uh, fun to work with an industry with that level of variety than it might be, let's say, if I was focusing on on soybeans or something like that. Most definitely. Where can listeners get further information on the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef? Sure. Well, we have a, a website, which is uh, grsbeef.org, um, with the usual www in front of it. And that's probably the best place to start. And uh, on that website, you'll find uh, quite a bit of documentation, background information on our goals, etc. And you'll also find uh, email addresses where you can get hold of us. And similarly, we're on social media. So if you prefer to use social media for getting in touch, you can find us. And our handle for most of those is at grsbeef. That's great. Thanks very much for very interesting insights, Rory. Thank you. That's all for this week's episode. And my thanks to Rory for joining me in the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie. Or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.